Hello, mamas. Today I'm sharing a podcast interview that I did on the Talking Nutritionally podcast, all about the power of a healthy pelvic floor. Enjoy. Hey, mama, I'm sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes. It's time for you to guide you through. Let's take some time for you. It's pregnancy with physio. Hello, mamas, and welcome back to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast. Today, I'm sharing an interview I did on someone else's platform for the wonderful Ali McLean, who is a nutritionist specializing in metabolism, menstrual cycles, fertility, fat loss, and so much more. She's a fellow surf coaster. We actually live around the corner from each other, but she had me on her podcast talking nutritionally to chat all about the pelvic floor. So I want to share it on this podcast in case you haven't heard me talk about these topics before. So I cover what exactly the pelvic floor is and isn't, where it is, how to contract and relax these muscles properly, whether you have an overactive or an underactive pelvic floor and how to tell the difference and the signs of an overactive pelvic floor, how to do diaphragmatic breathing to really help release your tummy and your pelvic floor muscles, what exactly does a women's health physio do and why I decided to start the Pregnancy Posse program. So I really like sharing these chats that I do on other people's podcasts because I think you get to hear a different side of me. I speak very differently, I think, and I share very differently when I'm being interviewed versus being the interviewer. So I do like to share these. So thanks to Ali for having me. If you want to connect with Ali, you can find her on Instagram at nutritionally, E-L-L-Y, or you can look up her podcast, Talking Nutritionally, Nutrition, E-L-L-Y. So enjoy this interview, ladies. Laura, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Ali. I love talking about all things pelvic floor, so it's a pleasure to join you. (laughs) Well, it's incredible how our paths crossed, actually, because I really wanted to have a women's health physiotherapist on the show, and so I reached out to a colleague, of mine and she pointed me in your direction and turns out we're practically neighbours. So here we are. (laughs) I know we could have done this in person. It's cool to connect with people who are on the surf coast. I feel like we were just talking before the show about how good it is to have the sunshine out and it's just nice that someone is literally understanding what I'm going through right now with this beautiful beach weather. So (laughs) yeah, the the blessing and curse of living on the surf coast. It's like when it's a sunny day, you're just like, oh, I wish I could go to the beach. But I guess you've got the beach there all the time, so you can yeah. get there. Yeah. <laughs> Not working when you do have some downtime. I'm going, honestly, like just after this podcast interview, so it's a perfect day for me. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I'd love for you to tell, you know, myself and the audience a little bit about your, if you want to, your personal health journey and background, but I guess more importantly for context with this show, your professional journey, you know, your training and what you do now as a physiotherapist. Yeah, sure. So I'm a women's health physiotherapist or a pelvic floor physiotherapist. There's lots of different terms you might hear thrown around, but essentially I work with women through the preconception, pregnancy, birth, and then postpartum phase predominantly. It's not just for those women, but predominantly around that area. And we help women with things like pelvic floor dysfunction, abdominal separation, pelvic pain, back pain, mastitis, recovery after birth, like anything that sort of pops up in that area is what I'm helping women with. Some physios in this area will also branch out and do other work with say men's health and pelvic floor or 
pelvic floor and prolapse and things like that in the menopausal phases. So there's so many different branches of women's health physiotherapy that you can go into. Me specifically, I've tended to stick to the pre peri postnatal areas because that's my real jam at the moment because that's where I am personally I really enjoy that area but there's so many different branches but I kind of describe it as like women's and men's and pelvic health physiotherapists kind of deal with anything between like boobs and bum so it's kind of like that midsection (laughs) abdominal pelvic bowl area we deal with the internals as well as the outside so yeah it's a bit tricky to understand but yeah there's so much we can help women with particularly pelvic floor related because that seems to be something I know we're going to talk about later and something Mm. that comes up a lot for these women and then personally I have had my own three children I've had two cesarean sections and one vaginal birth so I feel like I've got a pretty good spectrum on how it feels to be pregnant how it feels to carry big babies and have all the aches and pains of pregnancy myself I've had SIJ or posterior pelvic pain myself I've suffered with a little bit of prolapse I've had mild incontinence myself I've obviously had C-section recoveries and vaginal birth recoveries. So I feel like I've kind of ticked a lot of boxes in my personal life as well, which allows me to really empathize with my clients and with the women I deal with because I felt a lot of it myself as well. So it's really cool when your worlds collide professionally and personally. I really love that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I did health sciences majoring exercise and nutrition as my undergraduate and when I left uni, I think I must have been 20 because I was also young for my year. I just thought, how on earth am I going to educate people who are, you know, living a life, working in corporate, have children, have all of these experiences and challenges? How am I going to talk to them about their food and nutrition? And it wasn't until I was like 29 that I'd been through, you know, corporate burnout and training for marathons and my own gut health and hormonal issues that I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to start practicing with people now. It's like I really wanted that personal experience to be able to empathize with my clients and really talk to them on a practical level. So I understand exactly what you mean about just just adds to the depth um, that you can, that you can put of service that you can provide your clients when you've been through a lot of these things. Yeah, I think it's the empathy level. You can be a brilliant clinician and I certainly think you don't have to experience that to be a good clinician to treat that, that's for sure. And vice versa, you can have experienced that personally but be rubbish professionally. So it's definitely not like a black and white thing. But I think it's the depth of empathy that you have. It's like, say, for example, mastitis. I haven't experienced that until recently. And I've treated a lot of mastitis in the past. And, you know, like from an intellectual point of view, I'd be like, oh, you know, this sounds really awful, blah, blah, blah. This is what we're going to do. But now if I saw someone with mastitis, I feel like I'd grab their arm and go, oh my God, are you okay? Because I understand now the depths of pain that puts you through. And I never really could comprehend that until I had my own experience. And now I just feel like I have this really good empathy that I can show my clients and really go, I get it. Like I really, I get it now. And I just think that helps. It's another layer that you can contribute to helping women through this. So I think it's really beautiful. Absolutely. I do want to talk to you a little bit more about preconception and pregnancy, but before we get there, I like to be systematic about things. Can you talk to us a little bit about pelvic floor health? What are women who are active, potentially thinking about conceiving, what do they need to be aware of when it comes to pelvic floor health? Because I feel like this is just one of those areas that really 
you know, wouldn't really be entering the consciousness of many people. However, I'm sure if they were aware of it, they'd be like, ah, that's what's going on or that's where I need to work on or just have, yeah, some, some warning about things that might happen in the future. Yeah, I feel like a lot of women aren't aware of pelvic floor until there's a problem. Mm. And so that can often be like during pregnancy or after birth when the pelvic floor has been affected and stretched and whatnot, that they then go, oh, okay, I think I need to work on this. But certainly if you can get on top of understanding your pelvic floor, having really good education around your anatomy and how it functions and making sure that it's functioning well before you even fall pregnant, it really does get you ahead of the game. So what we might do is just like a quick 101 of what the pelvic floor is so that if you're listening to this, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around what it is, what it isn't. So I don't have my model on me today, but I'll talk you through it because obviously you guys can't see me anyway. So your pelvic floor is the bit of muscle between your pubic bone. So if you touch at the front of your pelvis, is like that hard pubic bone. And then at the back of your pelvis, there's your little coccyx. So that's your tailbone. Now between those two, imagine it like a hammock underneath. That's your pelvic floor. That's where it sits. So imagine it like a hammock. So if you're sitting right now, it's like that padded bit of your underwear or where you might put a pad. That's the bit that we're talking about. That's the general area. It's not your glutes, which is your big kind of clenching bottom muscles. It's not them. It's not your tummy. It's not your inner thigh because a lot of people think that when they're doing butt clenches, for example, they think they're doing their pelvic floor, but it's not those muscles. It's the muscles that sit underneath your pelvis. And so what they do, these muscles, is they help to keep you continent. So they help to hold things in. They also help to let things out. So babies, and they help to open so that you can have penetration when it comes to sex and intercourse. But they also hold things in like urine and feces when you want them to. And they also allow them out when you want them to. So when you need to go to the toilet, you need to be able to relax those muscles to be able to open your bladder and open your bowels properly. Mm. They're really, really important when it comes to sexual function as well. Pelvic floor is very much connected to sexuality, sexual experiences, sexual sensations. If you have an overactive pelvic floor and pain, exactly. Mm. So that can, overactive pelvic floors are very much linked to painful sex. That can be a real issue for women. So there's the bladder, the bowel, the sexual functions. It stretches a lot and is under a lot of load in pregnancy. You can imagine if you're picturing that hammock, You then go and add, say, 10 to 15 kilos of extra weight during pregnancy plus all the just softening of the ligaments because of all the estrogen. And we find that there's an extra load on that hammock. And so naturally, we want to make sure that we have good support and we're bolstering as much as we can about the pelvic floor so that we don't have any issues with that. And then if you go on to have a vaginal birth, your pelvic floor stretches up to two and a half times its original length, which no other muscle in the body is even capable of doing. Imagine your hamstring doubling itself and a half. It's not possible. It will break. Whereas the pelvic floor is designed to do this, to allow a baby to come down that birth canal. It's amazing. But I think if we don't know this knowledge, we don't appreciate what it's going through. And sometimes we then can rush that postpartum healing process. So it's really cool to know this stuff and know what the pelvic floor is capable of, because then I think we really allow ourselves to rest and recover and heal after birth as well. So it's very much implicated in the pregnancy and birth and postpartum period of life because of all the extra weight and the pressure from birthing. So it's definitely something that if it's not already on your radar, it will come on your radar when you enter that pregnancy and birth space. So that's kind of a 101 of where the pelvic floor is, what it isn't. In terms of how you would actually activate your pelvic floor, If you're sitting right now, just sit really comfortably. You might want to lean forward if that feels more comfortable. You can rest your elbows on your knees or you can just sit up straight, uncross your legs. 
just relax all your other muscles because what I say with the pelvic floor is remember it should be a secret. So you shouldn't grimace your face. I'll be watching your face, Ali. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it now for the listeners. I'm following along. You shouldn't suck your belly in. You shouldn't be tightening your butt cheeks. Everything should stay still. So if you're doing your pelvic floor, no one should be able to tell what you're doing because it should be a secret. So now what I want you to imagine is you've got your urethra, which is where your urine comes out of. That's your first passageway. Then you've got your vagina, which is where tampons might go in or babies come out of. And then below that, you've got your anus, which is where you open your bowels from. So they're your three passageways. And when you tighten your pelvic floor, you squeeze around those passageways first, and then you lift up into the body. Okay. So we squeeze first, then we lift. So I want you to take a big breath, relax all your muscles, breathe out. Now I want you to squeeze around the vagina and now lift up inside the body. Hold it there for one. Keep breathing. Three, four, five, and release all the way back down. If that's hard to imagine doing, you can imagine closing the doors of an elevator, which is the tightening around the vagina, and then lifting it up to level two, which is the lift component, and then vice versa. You release it down to level one, and then you open the doors. That's another really good way for women to think about it. Mm -hmm. Now, important is the contraction. Of course, we want to have that strength and that ability to lift and squeeze, but also relaxation is just as important because a lot of women really struggle to turn their pelvic floors off these days. So they're on really well, but they're on too much and that can cause a whole range of different problems. So it's important when you do these exercises to contract, to lift it up to level two, but then also let it go all the way back down in between contractions. So that's one way to do the pelvic floor. And that's a really good starting place if those listening have not really encountered the pelvic floor before and never sure where to start, what to do. Just remember, it should be a secret. Relax everything. Squeeze the vagina. Imagine like an elevator up to level two. Hold it for five seconds. Come back down and open and maybe try five times to start with. I can imagine to begin with, it's just a matter of actually, this is where my mind's going, a matter of connecting, you know, like getting those neural pathways flowing, brain, yeah. pelvic floor, even just getting the awareness of where it is, mm -hmm. what you're doing in yeah. that exercise you just described. 100%. And that's why I think it's so important to do if you can before there's problems because say after birth, a lot of that area can feel disconnected. There may be swelling or bruising. That muscle is stretched a lot. So the nerves are not firing like they usually would. But if you've got muscle memory because you've already created this really beautiful pathway between the brain and the pelvic floor, it comes back online much faster. So I do mm. think it is a good pathway to really practice before it's never too late but before you are injured or it might be you know not working as it usually would it's good to work on it when it's in good position and good strength and good function because it's much easier then to recover after birth and during pregnancy and whatnot yeah prevention is key in this case by the sounds of it mm -hmm. or helpful not necessarily a deal breaker if you haven't done it but helpful. No, very helpful for those people that haven't been through pregnancy, haven't given birth. I'm imagining that an overactive pelvic floor is maybe the most likely scenario and tell me if I'm wrong, but if it is, what are some of the signs that, you know, someone is dealing with an overactive pelvic floor? Mm. I do think that's probably one of the most common things we would see in women who haven't yet had babies. And interestingly, this can present like incontinence, which a lot of people would assume if they're leaking when they're jumping or running or if they've got bladder urgency and they can't hold on to get to the toilet in time, a lot of women would come to see me and say, 
I think I've got a weak pelvic floor because that's just assumed that if you're leaking, then there's a weakness. But Mm. a lot of these women, if they haven't yet had babies, we find they've actually got overactive pelvic floor muscles. So this is what I was talking about before with the relaxation component being key, because if you've got a pelvic floor that's on all day long, all the time, when it doesn't need to be, when you actually need it to work, it's already on. So it's tired, it's fatigued, it's in this tense state. It doesn't have much more to give. And that's where the incontinence piece can come in because it's not actually functioning very well. It should be down here, you know, say level zero at a rest state. And then when it's needed, it jumps up, but then it comes back down. And when it's needed, it jumps up and comes back down. But if it's holding on all day long, it's not designed to work like that. And it's going to be tired. It's going to be tense. It can cause you pain and all sorts of dysfunction. So yes, it can definitely present like incontinence. So don't let that confuse you. If you've not had a baby, you're a very active fit woman and you're leaking, that doesn't mean you need to go smash out more Kegels or more pelvic floor exercises. In fact, it might be the opposite. You might actually need to cut back on how much you're doing and you might need to really work on slowing everything down, breathing properly. That's a huge component, relaxing your abdominal muscles and relaxing your pelvic floor. The abs and the pelvic floor are very closely linked. A lot of really fit, active women have these really strong, tense abs. We're told to stand up tall, suck your tummy in, hold yourself in good Mm. posture. And those things don't actually help. That's not necessarily a natural posture to be actively sucking your tummy in all day. Sure, there's times and places for our tummy to be engaged and on, but if you're just used to always sucking your tummy in, I'm sure with your clients, you get a lot of people who are bloated. Mm. Often people who are bloated also have overactive abdominal muscles because they're always trying to suck in this bloat because it feels very uncomfortable to let that out. You suck in this bloat all day, you get overactive abdominal muscles that Mm. often leads to overactive pelvic floor muscles. So it's a real cycle and there's a real link between all of this. Other symptoms that you might find if you've got overactive pelvic floor muscles is it might be really hard for you to empty your bladder or empty your bowels. So you might be sitting on the toilet feeling like you need to strain or maybe your flow is not very good with your urine. It might be stop start or it feels like there's something in there, but you can't get it out. Or you might feel constipated. You feel like you can't, you have to really strain to get your poo out properly because your pelvic floor is kind of fighting against what it's trying to do. So if you've got fissures, anal fissures, pain with anything to do with the toilet, this could be a sign that you've got an overactive pelvic floor. If you're running to the toilet with urgency and you can't hold on and you've got this really irritable, what feels like an irritable bladder, that could be related to overactive pelvic floor. Anything to do with painful sex can very much be related to overactive pelvic floor. So whether that's pain just touching the vulva, pain with penetration, that can all be related to overactive pelvic floor. And then, again, there's so many things, but even back pain, groin pain, glute pain, that can all be related to overactive pelvic floor muscles as well. So there's so many facets that can be related to overactive pelvic floor. And I think it's just good to put this on women's radars because a lot of women, like I said, will assume it's weakness, weakness, weakness. You just got to keep smashing it out, keep doing more and more and more and more. But if you're doing that and you're finding your problems are getting worse, your problem is probably with relaxation. So that's why I definitely recommend you go see a women's health physio because There's no point you going months and months down a pathway of trying to strengthen something if the problem is the strength itself and the overactivity in itself. Yeah. And I imagine, you know, the sorts of people you just described, you know, those individuals who might have IBS and hold in or those who are really conscious of, you know, tummy poking out. I grew up as a dancer and so like teachers constantly walking past you, hold, you know, hold it in, hold it in. And this day and age of people 
being under just a lot of pressure or that perceived pressure of I need to achieve this, I need to be there, I don't want to be late, I'm already running late. You know, there's a lot of like tense time in this day and age. I can presume would that be a risk factor for one hundred percent yeah overactive pelvic floor yeah so anxiety and stress yeah huge because it contributes to whole body muscular tension mm. so I get clients to just put like a dot on their left hand or right hand whatever it is and during the day every time they see that dot just to do a quick check in and go am I tensing my body right now and they might do a quick body scan it's very hard to just isolate your pelvic floor and say I'm going to let go of that if everything else is switched on if your jaw is tense if you've got tight neck you're getting headaches if you know like you're squeezing your glute muscles it's no point trying to really relax your pelvic floor you need to relax your whole system so I'll get people to do a quick body scan starting from their head working their way all the way to the toes and just checking in are you tense are you tense are you tense and if you are release 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 and sometimes they have to do that every hour on the hour and it can take a long time to really let go but it's really important breath work is really really important for this sort of work as well because if we can relax through our breath and let go of all our muscular tension that really really helps so often I'll get my patients to do diaphragmatic breathing which is essentially just belly breathing so breathing in expanding your belly breathing out letting your belly fall And when they start, and I don't know if you've done this before, Ali, but I know for myself too, when I start, it feels so hard to expand my belly out. It's like, oh, everything just resists because it's been on and tense all day. But after I've done a couple of minutes of deep breathing and breath work, I feel like my belly could expand for minutes. Like I just feel like I could inhale for so long. And that's what we're aiming to get to is that we're not fighting this resistance in our muscles, that everything is off and relaxed because when we need it to be on it's going to work much better but if we're on all the time unnecessarily it doesn't work very well so yes huge stress and anxiety and busyness and cortisol pumping and running around is a huge factor that contributes to overactivity Mm. for me the turning point was yoga starting a yoga practice when would it have been like red properly 2016 2015 and it's just such a contrast to dance to dance where you know that yoga practice you're really encouraged to like let the belly out you know breathe Mm -hmm. in let it out and that's where I finally got to you know to train that part within myself but the breathing piece uh, you know I get my IBS clients you know irritable bowel like symptoms to do those deep belly breaths before they start eating a meal to, you know, Mm. calm, relax, activate the parasympathetic nervous system. But it's so much more, you know, it's more than that. If we couple in the benefits of relaxing the pelvic floor, which could also be contributing to irritable bowel-like symptoms. So just anyone who's been told to like deep breathe before a meal by me, please know that it's going much deeper than that Absolutely. and it's helping your pelvic floor as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. It's good for everything really. Deep breathing is never a bad thing. <laughs> no, not at all. And it doesn't have to be like, you know, you're tapping into a meditation. I think, you know, you've got meditation over here, which people are really intimidated by. And I think they have to have 20 minutes twice a day put aside. Mm. And then over here, you've got just breathing deeply and yeah, relaxing and letting breaths. go. Yeah. Exactly. And getting some of that benefit. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you've highlighted how important it is to go and get an assessment and a diagnosis so you are not just adding fuel to the fire of an overactive pelvic floor. Really good to know. Are there any exercises outside of what you've just described that 
could be a nice starting point without giving all of your secrets away, a nice starting point for people who do think they have an overactive pelvic floor, they're waiting to get in to see someone. Mm -hmm. Are there any exercises outside of what you've described that would be beneficial? I would give every single person that comes to see me with an overactive pelvic floor, the first thing I would get them to do is belly breathing. So that would be the first thing. So I can talk you through slightly more detail than what I just mentioned. What I get women to do is lie on their back. If you're pregnant, lie on your side, put a hand on their chest and put a hand on their belly and just start breathing how you would normally breathe. And if you notice that the chest hand keeps rising, but the belly hand is not moving, that means that you're breathing into your chest, which a lot of us do, or we might breathe into our shoulders. And if nothing's happening down your belly, that means you're just not getting the breath down deep enough. So then what I would try is to actively take a breath in, keep your chest hands steady. So I don't want the breath like blowing up your chest. Imagine that breath going down into your belly and then letting the front of your belly expand out like a balloon and try to breathe in for three seconds and see if you can expand your tummy out. And then breathe out and just let the tummy fall back in. You don't have to suck it back in. You just let it fall back in. And then you do it again. Breathe in, expand the belly out for one, two, three, and breathe out. Just let it fall back in. One, two, three. And you just keep going with this for a couple of minutes. And then you might try five seconds, five second inhale, five second exhale. And I honestly would not even start with pelvic floor specific exercises until someone can really let go of their abs properly because it just starts to get really confusing for women because when they're ready we will start with small contractions but then big long relaxations of the pelvic floor but if you can't let go of your tummy properly or if when you do a pelvic floor contraction you really turn your abs on at the same time we've got to work on that piece first other exercise that can be really helpful for these women who are really tense and tight in their pelvic floor is external pelvic stretches so your typical glute stretches so lying on your back when you cross your knee across your body and you yep. stretch those glutes out the back or when you're sitting and you put your ankle up on your opposite knee, you kind of have your knee bent out to the side, you lean forward into that. Any of those big hip stretches or even just standing up doing big hip circles, like getting some mobility back in our bodies because you'll find that if you've got an overactive pelvic floor, you're probably pretty stiff in the middle section. Mm. Your pelvis is probably not moving very well. So just rolling around, like doing some pelvic tilts, doing some big hip circles, that's never going to be a bad thing when you're talking about tension or overactivity. So just mm -hmm. some external stretches can be really helpful too. So I imagine then for runners, this is like a big at-risk zone if it's always like that forward motion, not diverging, tight glutes, glutes appearing. If, you know, if there's a runner who's doing big Ks and not doing those stretches, I imagine mm -hmm. that's a, a risk factor as well. Yeah, it could be, certainly could be. I think variety of movement is really key. So if you are doing a sport or an exercise that is very predictable, it is good to balance it out with other directions of movement. So running, like you said, if you're just running in a straight line, it'd be good to be stretching in a lateral movement as well, doing some side to sides, just because variety is key. So I think if we do too much of one thing, we're always going to get a little bit of imbalance. So it's really good to just try and balance things out in the opposite direction. Mm. Now, high pelvic floor, is this also going to be like a precursor or a contributor to fecal incontinence or cases of urgency? Or if it is pelvic floor associated, would that be more underactive looseness, lack of strength? 
Yeah, I would say bladder urgency can definitely be both. Yeah. Overactive pelvic floor can be really irritating to the urethra, which can feel like you've got a lot of urgency. Underactive pelvic floor or like a weak pelvic floor can also be a contributor to urge incontinence. So when you're struggling to get to the toilet and you have an accident before you get there. I would say on the whole, fecal incontinence tends to be more a weakness. That tends to be something that is to do with weakness either in the pelvic floor or specifically in the anal sphincter muscles. Again, best way to know is go and get checked by a pelvic floor physio though or a women's health physio because they'll be able to tell you exactly. Because when we're talking, we won't go into too much detail because like you mentioned earlier, it is the edge and not the majority. But when it comes to fecal incontinence, you've got your big pelvic floor muscles, which is that hammock, the big sling I was talking about before. But then you've also got these extra anal sphincter muscles. You've got an external anal sphincter and an internal anal sphincter. They are different muscles to the generic big pelvic floor we're talking about. And After childbirth, particularly if you've had a third or fourth degree tear, that can specifically affect the anal sphincter muscles, which is a different sort of treatment, different sort of protocol. It's not just generic pelvic floor strengthening. You'd be doing specific anal sphincter exercises. So yeah, that's why I think if you're unsure, am I under, am I overactive, best to go and get checked because it can be hard to tell just based on symptoms alone. Yeah, without doubt. Now, changing scenes a little bit towards preconception. I think you sort of alluded to it before, but, you know, being aware of pelvic floor, taking care of it prior to conceiving and pregnancy, what's the benefit there? Why why is that something we want to be doing? Yeah, so we know that pelvic floor strength or pelvic floor exercises, having a good pelvic floor is related to better sexual function, less chance of incontinence and prolapse, reduced pushing stage, so the second stage of labour, and better postpartum recovery. So there's some really good evidence there to say, hey, pelvic floor is important. plays a really big role in all of these factors in the pregnancy, birth, and postpartum recovery. We know it's really good when it comes to incontinence. So like I said, the birth as well, I think that always gets people over the line if they're unsure. I'm like, do you know pelvic floor is related to reducing your length of pushing. And they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to start doing it now. So there are all the reasons why it's important to start now because we know how important it is in all of those phases. And again, if you can become aware of it beforehand, I just think it builds that muscle memory. It builds your confidence. And if there are problems that you pick up on, so you might be in the preconception phase and you start becoming aware of the pelvic floor and doing your exercises and you go, oh, actually, I'm not noticing I'm really bad at relaxing or now that I think about it, I do have some bladder urgency or that little dribble that I get at the very end of my 10K run that I was ignoring, I actually think, you know, it's probably something to investigate now. So I do think it's just having that awareness brings it to the front of your mind. You go and see a women's health physio, you get these things sorted. It's just putting you ahead of the game. So it doesn't mean that it's too far gone. We see women at all stages of that period and you can always improve. There's never a time where we go, oh, you're 32 weeks now. Don't worry about it. You're just going to have the leak for the last two months of your pregnancy. Absolutely not. But I just think if you can get ahead of the game, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about pregnancy in the next couple of years, it's just so good to be one foot in front of where you need to be. I think the preparation is, yeah, is really vital. Yeah. Look, listeners would not be surprised to hear about, you know, another thing to uh, to consider in that, you know, that conception preparation phase. Because I talk about it all the time with nutrition, you know, it's not yeah. just one month of taking folate before falling pregnant. And I think we yeah. can add this to, you know, that list. But it's not about making someone's life harder or adding to their to-do list. It's just about making life 
better when it mm-hmm. comes to it, the, the pregnancy experience, the delivery, the recovery. And honestly, I think of all the clients I saw preconception who came in for like general health checkups and pelvic floor. And again, I don't want to sell people the dream because obviously everyone's individual, but honestly, most of the time it was only one or two sessions these women needed because so much of it was just education, getting a base understanding of where they're at. And they weren't too far off being really good. And so it's definitely not this like, oh, now I have to add six weeks of appointments and this and that and all these million things. It's often really easy tweaks to what they're already doing and only a couple of sessions that I found women needed before they embarked on this journey. So from a mental load point of view, I actually think it's pretty, pretty light. Like I don't think it becomes this hectic regime that you need to follow. I found most women... Yeah, could just make a couple of tweaks and then they were right on track. Yeah, that's reassuring for people to know. So you now have a program called the Pregnancy Posse, is that right? Yes. And uh, this is what you do now, so you're not seeing people in clinic, totally focused on the Pregnancy Posse. That's amazing. It really goes to show how much of a little niche you've found for this pre-pregnancy and and postpartum recovery. Yeah, I think um, there's just such a need for it. So that's why I haven't gone back clinically because there's been such an online need for it. So one of the main factors is why I started the online version of what I was doing in the clinic is that I just felt like a lot of what I was educating women on was kind of on repeat. So you know, I was giving the same basic knowledge client after client after client and I was booked out. I had no more spaces, but I was like, I'm seeing far too many women come in after birth saying, oh my God, I wish I'd known about this beforehand. Like all the things we're talking about, you know, being one step ahead, these women weren't given the opportunity to do that. And I was just like, I'm tapped out. I can only see a certain amount of women a week. I can only see women who can afford the fees that I'm charging every week. And I can only see women who can afford to travel in this, you know, region as well. I was like, there's got to be so many women out there who just do not get the opportunity to access this information. And it's been really cool. I've been running the Pregnancy Posse for, oh my gosh, like four years, I think now. I've had literally thousands of women through the program. And what I love seeing is when women join the program who are in like rural Australia, they're farmers out in the middle of nowhere. They're like four hours away from any sort of service, let alone if they luck out with a women's health physio four hours away who get to access this information without needing to be in a certain suburb or it's much cheaper as well. So they don't need to have certain amount of finances or, you know, a certain amount of income to be able to access these services. So yeah, it's been a real passion project of mine and there's so many other things I wish I could action, but I'm, you know, mum of three kids. So I'm I was going to say, you've got three children. You, you'll get to the other things eventually. Yeah, one day, but yeah. yeah, it's been really beautiful. So I'd love to return clinically one day, but it's certainly not on my short term radar, just with how much I've got going on with the online program yeah well it looks incredible I've had a look at the content and it's incredibly in-depth step by step basically week by week for people who are pregnant so anyone who's listening to this who is pregnant or very close to it go and check it out because it does look like it would tick a lot of boxes for almost a nominal fee in comparison Mm -hmm. to to one-on-one support and even just finding the support like you said for people that are regional or maybe aren't regional but have no idea whether their physio or their physio clinic can even dial into these areas with the same level of experience and knowledge that 
that you can and would make it a relevant choice for somebody. Did you go on to do formal education in pelvic floor post-degree or has it been your experience, your mentoring or who's mm. mentored you or your learning that's led to specialising in you know, pregnancy postpartum? Yeah, so I went on to do my postgrad in this area. So I've done this a lot of different avenues to get into it, I believe, these days. But the main way to do it back when I did it, cause gosh, I'm getting older than I realized, was to do a postgraduate degree. So you do your normal physio degree and then you need to specialize on top of that to be able to offer. Because we do things like internal exams and it's a very different skill set than what a general physio would offer. So I did my postgraduate degree in pelvic floor physiotherapy and also in exercise and pregnancy. So two slightly different but similar specialties there. So when you are looking for a physio who does work in this area, you want to make sure that they've got a postgraduate or a master's in this area so that you know that they are fully qualified. And it can be really hard. And I know our governing body is definitely working to make it clearer for clients to know who is qualified and who isn't. But yeah, it's still a bit of a gray area, I'm sure, in terms of understanding. But essentially, I say to women, if your physio can do internal examinations on you, then that's really good. That's what you're looking for. If they say, oh yeah, I can check your pelvic floor, but they then say, oh, I'm not qualified to do internal exams. Well, then they probably don't have the full training. And whilst internal exams are definitely not an absolute necessary part of assessment and treatment, they do provide a big piece of the picture when it comes to working out what's going on, because that's where the muscles are. That's where the bladder is. That's where prolapses exist. So we do need to be able to investigate where they are. And again, I know that can make women hesitant because they think, oh, I don't really don't want to go see a physio and I don't want to have an internal exam. But and we don't, we never have to, obviously you need informed consent to have an internal exam, but it is a really good assessment tool. So if your physio can't do that, then you're not going to be able to get the full picture. Mm. No, I can imagine it's a very important and helpful piece of the puzzle um, mm. in having that assessment done. So Laura, where can people go to find out more about you and to find out more about the pregnancy posse? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at Physio Laura. And the Pregnancy Posse is at thepregnancyposse.com and you can trial that program for seven days if you want to. So go check that out at thepregnancyposse.com. And I also run a podcast, Pregnancy with Physio Laura. So if you love a chat and you love putting people in your ears and listening to all of the pre-postpartum topics, then yeah, that's a really epic podcast to go listen to as well. Amazing. I'll pop all of those links in the show notes for people. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. You definitely opened my eyes up and I'm sure listeners will be appreciating the insights as well yeah thank you for having me Ali I hope everyone goes and practices their pelvic floor today (laughs) I already am (laughs) hey mamas I hope you love that chat with Ali McLean over on the talking nutritionally podcast like I said in the introduction you can find her on instagram at nutrition alley e-double-l-y or you can check out her podcast talking nutritionally it was a pleasure to have me on i love talking about the pelvic floor i hope today gave you a really good insight if you don't feel up to scratch with your pelvic floor knowledge to really understand where those muscles are how to work them i think it's such an important topic to understand if you're over or underactive because doing pelvic floor exercise can actually make your symptoms worse if you do have an overactive pelvic floor so I hope you love this chat. I love sharing them with you. Please make sure you subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast so you don't miss any of our upcoming amazing episodes we have coming up. 
And if you are pregnant and you want a healthy, strong pelvic floor, because we know it's really important for your labor, birth, and postpartum recovery, come and join me inside the Pregnancy Posse. That is my online membership program. We cover pelvic floor in every single weekly workout that we do. We have loads of videos on how to contract your pelvic floor, how to relax your pelvic floor, how to do it properly to make sure that you're in the best position possible to have an awesome labor and birth and epic postpartum recovery. So if you're pregnant and that sounds good to you, come and find me at thepregnancyposse.com and you can trial the program for seven days. But wherever you are right now, mamas, I hope you're having a wonderful day and I will catch you in your ears next week. Bye.